Hey, good morning, good afternoon, uh, wherever you are. This is Chris, I'm down the beach, uh, and so life's a beach, isn't it? Uh, the sand and the wind and the waves and the waters come in, the tide comes in and goes out. Just like life, things ebb and flow. And you kind of like think to yourself, why is it so hard for some people to get a grip on the idea that there's a universe, there's a cosmos, there's planets. The sun doesn't really come up in the morning. The earth goes down. We forget. We lose vision. We lose perspective. We lose context. If you come on the beach, there's sand. There's, there's trillions of grains, but they all make up one beach. And the, the water comes in and the water goes out. Life comes in and life goes out. Birds are here eating things from the sea. So the, the cycle of life is predictable. You are all listeners, sorry to tell you, gonna die someday. Death is as important as part of the construction of life as is life. And so as is birth. Today, well, it's really important. I think it's a good topic. I wanna to talk about sound and in the sounds of silence da, 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 da. it's my favorite song by debauched or deliverant or anyway it's a great uh, rendition uh, look we've gone backwards retros retrograde We've gone backwards. And the reason we've gone backwards a little bit is because we've got a technology called a computer screen. When we communicate with another human being, there are six senses that function to cause communication. You know them, but I'll go through them. Standing here on this beautiful beach with the sounds of the waves crashing in the background, I'll go through them. We look, we look for facial expression, body language, hidden signals, as uh, you'll read about in a book Michael Gladwell called Blink. We blink with an eye and we get an impression. And that impression really dominates our thoughts. So in communication, number one, blink, eyes. In communication, uh, number two, uh, feel. So if you're listening to a person talk about love and energy and consciousness and they're sitting in a, in a funeral parlor, in a morgue, or, some, or a war zone, it's pretty hard to translate that into anything philosophical and you probably start to think of the challenges and the miseries of life. And so number two is feel. Number three is taste. And this is very often, very, very often ignored that the flavor in people's mouths while they communicate has a 
massive influence. Now, there was a time long before most of you were born where we used to post things to each other rather than email them. And there was, I would say, 10 years where it was standard conventional practice to put into a postal delivery, whether it was a quote or a, a gift or whatever, put in a little lolly. A, a, a red, they were red and white. You get them, still get them sometimes at dentist surgery or doctor surgery or somewhere, a bank where they want to sweeten up the breath of the people. And the reason was that you get to associate something really sweet and pretty, even if you don't eat a lolly, having a lolly on your desk changes the flavour in your mouth. Just sitting there wrapped up in lovely, lovely cellophane wrapper ready to be put into your mouth and it's beautiful. So the, the flavour in your mouth. Now we're pretty addicted around the world to coffee. It's gone absolutely ballistic. But for the majority of us, the taste that gets left in your mouth after drinking coffee without too much sugar in it is very dirty, almost like sucking a sock that's been worn for three days in the Himalayas. It's this dirty taste. And that dirty taste influences your thinking. And so uh, it's not just worrying about how your breath projects onto the person opposite you or near you or around you. It's seriously questioning the taste that you're generating for yourself in your own mouth. Do you have yesterday's lunch still lingering between your teeth? Are you burping up something that didn't sit properly and therefore you, you're in the back of your throat, you've got some sort of flavor? Does, you know, you hear the expression, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And that is talking about when you have a conflict with someone or a disagreement with someone, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I had a wife who had the worst breath and she's the most beautiful person. And I say to her, I would walk into her office and it would smell seriously worse than those socks I was talking about earlier. And I'd say to her, look, this is not going to work out well for you if you don't do something about this breath. And I wasn't talking about for me. I was talking about for her because she's the one that was tasting it. This person eventually died. Died of a cancer that could have been prevented if she had have explored the source of this stinky taste in her mouth. Stinky breath. And it left a bad taste in my mouth, even making love, because it, it just, the smell converted itself into a, into a taste. So I think being aware of the taste buds and being aware of the flavors, that it's not just scent of the breath or scent, it's actually the taste on the top of your tongue. And it's really important to consider that a healthy taste, such as the taste of honey or the taste of uh, 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 um, a ginger, or the one of those beautiful healthy tastes, is critical for digestion. Most of a lot of digestion, a lot of assimilation of uh, oxygen from the air, prana, 
a lot of these things have a lot to do with taste. We used to play a game in workshops and we'd get people to spit into their hand. Just take some saliva and spit into their hand. It's not very pleasant. Yeah, I know, we'd have a tissue handy. Just work up a little bit and dribble a spit, a little dribble into your own hand. Then we'd ask people to put it back in their mouth. And I would say on statistic, 95% of people would refuse to. Refuse to put their own spit back in their mouth. That's come out of their mouth into a clean hand and they're not going to put it back in their mouth. So this, back, this environment within your mouth, you've got to see. It's, it's, it's highly, from a primal and a, and a sensory point of view, it's highly important because we're not even prepared to put our own spit back in there. We had another exercise. I used to love this game in a workshop. We would get people, and it's part of the back on track process too, we would get people to, we'd give everybody a little pack of those, uh, cardboard pack of sultanas. And we'd say, okay, open your pack. This is with, I did this with an audience, I think probably 3,000 people. 3,000 little packs all sitting on each everyone's chair. And by the time I started my keynote, most people had eaten most of the pack. And I'd say, I want you to take one sultana. One single sultana. I want you to put it in your mouth and I want you to chew it a hundred times. Now, the flavor of a sultana is astonishing. One single, so you don't need 50 of them. You don't need a handful of them, you need one. One single sultana, the flavor is astonishing. But trying to keep a sultana in your mouth for a long period of time, because it dissolves into liquids and into mulch, is so counterintuitive. Because what are we interested in? We're interested in filling the stomach. And we bypass the flavor buds of the mouth unless the flavor buds are stimulated by something it didn't expect. Mmm, mmm, that pea that I had for dinner. Mmm, gosh, that, or that carrot. Oh wow, the taste of an organic carrot. There is nothing more beautiful than the taste of a nicely cooked, not overcooked, not boiled to the death, tiny piece of carrot in your mouth. When we sit at the dinner table, probably the TV's going or the iPads or the phones are ringing and someone says, what did that last mouthful taste like? It usually interrupts us as we bring our fork up to our mouth having loaded the fork with the next mouthful while we're chewing and trying to get as quickly down our throat the last mouthful without tasting it or with as quickly tasting it. This is a really important exercise for kids because we become uh, addicted to the idea of consuming the food rather than savouring the food. Uh, it is no different to me with a glass of red wine. Because I'm not a connoisseur of red wine, I drink red wine. I'm, I drink it. But if I'm with uh, my client whose family owns uh, one of Australia's largest and most beautiful wineries, and we are together and he's bought a bottle of wine to share 
over lunch and that's, our, that's going to be our coaching session. When I watch him drink a glass of wine, he brings it to his nose, he swills the, the wine in the glass, he smells it again, he takes a tiny little taste and lets it rattle around in his teeth. I see this, this person savouring, savouring the flavour, not the smell, not just the smell. The smell prepares the taste buds. So a, a dinner with a family around a table, the smell that precludes the dinner, the, 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 the smell, the odours of the, the food in the room become the preparation for digestion and assimilation of that food. And then the question is going to be, are people chewing the sultana or is their mission to get this damn thing as quickly down their throat as possible into their stomach and uh, feel full. You know, uh, on weight loss programs, you, you, you will already know this, I'm 100% sure, in weight loss programs, it's shown that it takes 15 minutes between something going in your mouth and down your throat to the signal from your stomach that it's arrived. And so most people overeat because they eat so fast that they're 15, they've eaten a whole meal in 15 minutes and so they're still hungry because the signal that food has gone to the stomach hasn't arrived back in the brain to say there is food in here. And so one of the great secrets of weight management, whether you need to lose weight or not, but one of the great secrets of assimilation and, uh, and uh, being able to uh, process and digest the nutrients from a meal and reduce meal necessarily meal sizes is to take longer. Take longer with every mouthful. Chew that uh, sultana a hundred times. And that becomes, uh, on any retreat you do with me or anyone who knows anything about sensory uh, engagement of the body-mind, becomes the critical factor for health. Chewing, tasting, savouring, waiting, not swallowing. But if you watch anybody, if you go on a bus, if you go down to Bondi Beach and watch people drink a smoothie, the reason they bought a smoothie is it goes down their throat quick. Sometimes it's even too cold to keep in your mouth. So sometimes the whole process of, of consumption is to get something from outside their mouth to inside their stomach with the shortest possible period of time. And of course, very often you'll see the biggest people, the people who are carrying the most body weight, are the ones who get the fastest, uh, the shortest time between out of the mouth and in the stomach. And therefore they can eat three pizzas before they suddenly go, shit, I'm full. Japanese food is like this for me. If I eat Japanese food fast, if I go to a sushi train and I sit there on a sushi train and I will just take a plate and I'll go, oh, that's really lovely because there's only a couple of little pieces of sushi on it. I'll grope for the next piece of sushi train because uh, there's another one coming past, the ones that I like, you know, the salmon or something like that. And next thing you know, I've eaten two plates and there's another one coming past. And before 15 minutes is up, I've eaten five plates. And that's about 
you know, 30 bucks up in Sydney. And I've gone to the sushi chain because it's going to be efficient, fast. It's going to be good quality. Uh, the rice is extraordinarily fattening, by the way, in sushi. Extraordinarily. It's, it's sugar rice. You might as well just eat a bowl of sugar as eat sushi rice. So I eat a lot of the sashimi, the, the raw stuff and green things on the train. But the bottom line of this is, after you walk out of a Japanese restaurant, you walk down the street, suddenly you start feeling full. But while you're in there, watching these plates go far past, your stomach is going, I'm empty, I'm empty, I'm empty, because it's this 15 minute thing. So the secret in Japan, and I've been there uh, a lot, the secret in Japan is these, these plates don't go past on a, on a uh, conveyor belt. These plates are delivered by uh, the chef and the chef then starts to slice up and kill the fish and chop the and cook the rice and everything is done as a process that takes certainly a very long period of time and so you learn very quickly to savor what you're eating because you know the next thing's not coming for at least 15 minutes at least it's also a recipe for getting extraordinarily drunk because the sake is sitting there waiting to be drunk. It's nice and warm. And so in between meals, you're popping a nice juicy, sweet sake down your, uh, down your mouth and next thing you know, you, you've drunk more than you've eaten. <laughs> so this whole thing about taste is very important. And it's very important if you're going to do a keynote or a presentation what you put in your mouth. My father's favorite old trick, uh, he used to laugh about this till the cows came home. He used to laugh. What he used to do, and my mother, when my dad and her were dating, was a singer. And so was my father's uh, sister. They were singers. And in uh, Tasmania, in the little country town, uh, every Friday night, there would be a singing competition. So it, it, was, it seemed strange to me that the same people would probably get up and compete but they'd sing a different song and they'd, uh, therefore the judges would give them prizes for whatever. So it wasn't all just pure voice. And my father would always uh, sit in the front row of the singing competition. He wouldn't sing. And he'd have in his pocket half a lemon, a slice of lemon. And as the person he wanted to tease would start to sing, my father would pull out this slice of lemon, suck on it, experience the bitter taste of the lemon in his own mouth, scowl his eyes into that look you get when you've eat, when you've sucked a lemon, it's like, Ugh, and dry out the mouth of the singer. It was my dad's funny joke. So even the taste in your mouth and the way it translates into your facial expression can become a signal to other people as to where you're at. And so I think it's really critical that we be aware of taste and we be aware for our families when we're sitting around the dinner table of negotiating the taste of something and playing games like how many times who can keep a little piece of carrot in their mouth the longest? Or who can keep a little pea, one single pea? We got taught as kids how to put peas 
on a fork and get as many because uh, we'd, we'd want to use a spoon and, or we'd get annoyed and trying to stab them with a fork. So we do have this idea that we need to get this meal over and done with as quickly as possible. And the one element of the senses that got thrown out with the bathwater of getting a meal over as quickly as possible, such as eating a, a sandwich while we walk, which is, I think, one of the most horrific uh, deprecations of the whole body-mind concept is to grab a sandwich from a shop and walk with it in our hand. It's, it's disgraceful. Because in this situation, the food is not food. The food is not going to be digested. It's not going to be assimilated. It's poison. The moment we sit down and we start tasting, we taste coffee and you go, do I really like the taste of coffee? The answer will be, not always. It's the, sh it's the milk, which there are coffee shops in Sydney now refusing to serve coffee with milk in it. So in other words, black coffee. And I think the authenticity of that is to say, do you really like the taste of coffee? Because if you're sticking milk in it, that's not a cup of coffee. That's a cup of milk with coffee in it. And the sugar in the, in the milk, which is injected into the milk in the process of making it, unless it's organic, the sugar in the, in the milk is what we're addicted to. And we wonder why we put on weight and we're eating really well, but we're still drinking milky coffee. And then we go, well, I'm gonna use almond milk. Well, almond milk is more fattening than than uh, cow's milk or I'm going to use soy milk and soy milk is more fattening than cow's milk so we use all these strange milks thinking that they're more healthy and maybe on some plane you could say they might be but certainly for weight management and and uh, distorting the taste of coffee it's a little bit funny isn't it so taste in your mouth what taste do you have right now is it Yesterday's coffee is a toothpaste from Colgate, full of chemicals. Is it the sweet taste of a, uh, a quarter, a little piece of apple? Is it the sweet taste? Is it a gentle taste? Or is it yesterday's uh, meat that we forgot to get from between our teeth? Or that's still digesting in our stomach and airing upwards and causing us to have discomfort in our stomach, not processed, not pooed out yet. Is our bowel empty? And if it's not, is it backfiring, back up the pipe? These things are important, guys, very important. But I think the purpose of today's coaching is not to talk about uh, just one of the senses. What the purpose of today's coaching is to bring you to the awareness of audio. With the advent of COVID and the lockdowns and the use of computer screens, we, have tr we are trying to replicate the environment we have in an office where we look in someone's face using a computer screen. And it doesn't work. I can say that 100%. You would be far wiser to turn off the screen and just use audio. Now, let me tell you a few reasons why. First, the person on the other side of the screen that you're looking at and trying to get feedback from visually isn't the master of the computer screen. They have their phone pinging just in case the kids need to come home from work or from school. 
They have dogs barking and people in the neighborhood. They have in an environment that is not conducive to, uh, to the level of quality of visual that you're trying to interpret. Secondly, unless you have a portable camera that you are using instead of the computer's camera, unless you have a portable camera in the middle of your computer screen, it looks, when you're looking at them, like you're looking away from them. So every time you get more focused on what is the expression on this person's face that I'm communicating with, you actually look away from them and they think that you're not actually looking and or talking to them. So you have to talk, if you're really doing it, doing the process of visual cues and body language and facial expression and trying to communicate using a screen, you have to look into the camera because that gives the other person on the other side of the screen a clear awareness that you're focusing on them. Well, then you're not focusing on them because you're focusing on a little button. And if you spend all day, every day, staring at a little red dot somewhere on your computer screen, you're gonna go nuts. That's the profession of being uh, 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 a presenter, uh, my job. That's the profession of being on camera, is you look into the camera lens as if you're looking into the eyes of another human being. You look down the lens, they call it. But in doing that, you get no visual cue from others. So if you master the art of using a camera and going on screen, firstly, the camera will be a minimum of at eye level. Cameras below your eyes make you look stupid. Secondly, and most importantly, you're looking into the lens. So you start to treat the lens as a friendly recipient of your voice. So you treat people as you wish them to become. And in looking into the camera lens, which is not on the computer, but rather in the center of the computer screen on a tripod, you're getting... Uh, you're giving people on the other side of the, the camera a visual cue that you're looking into their eyes and looking at them, while at the same time, you're getting some peripheral awareness of who's online and who's not. But my suggestion would be to turn off your camera screen and just look into the camera and treat the camera as your, as your audience. Treat your camera as the people you're receiving from. And if all of that is all too complicated for you. Go back to audio, because really, that's where it's at. Mastering the art of audio. Now, I spoke to Troy on the Change One, Change All podcast the other day, and Troy talked about hiring uh, people who do overdubs, voice overdubs for him for his social media work and for the work he does for his clients in promoting their business, and Troy, Troy is a genius at this. He's a filmmaker. He's done a lot of advertising work and he's done certainly whatever it comes to overdubbing and, uh, and uh, scripting. Uh, he's absolutely one of the best. And he said, you can hear whether a person is smiling. You can hear their facial expression. And so it, 
it sort of comes to me that maybe we need to, like chewing a sultana, we need to listen more powerfully in a time of COVID rather than look and try to emulate the interaction you have between yourself and others it, 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 on a screen. Think about a meeting you once had, I don't know, two years ago, pre-COVID, where there were, let's say, 12 people in the room and you were all talking and having a debate about something or you had to give a presentation. What was the, what was the process? The process was you'd be in the room and you'd look to someone who was giving you an affirmative, positive feedback. This is the key. You were getting feedback that what you were saying was working. And if you were looking at someone who was giving you not feedback that what you were saying is working, you would either change your facial expression to engage them, in other words, make them smile from you smiling, or get stern to cause them to concentrate by putting a stern look on your face so that they concentrated. But this doesn't happen anymore, not with a screen. If you were in a room with 12 people and you were talking to the room, you'd pick the most important person in the room and make sure that person was engaged. And if they were disengaged, you'd start worrying, you'd start panicking. You'd start thinking to yourself, shit, I've, I've, I've lost the plot. Even though the other 11 were totally concentrating, if your boss or somebody in the room was really important to you, it was distracted and on their phone or not smiling or not engaged, you would become nervous and, 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 and distracted from whatever you were saying. So rather than try to put those faces on a screen and find the one on the screen that's interested and the one that's not and all those things, you've got to realise that these people on the other side of the screen are not functioning like people in a room. They have kids and uh, uh, text messages and they have an uncomfortable chair and they probably have the camera at the wrong angle and the light's all wrong and your interpretation of their facial expressions is completely distorted by the fact that we're not professional. I spent a fortune to be trained on camera so that I could do a couple of TV interviews, but most people don't. Maybe they're, even their camera's not uh, efficient, maybe their whole thing. Maybe the camera position is low, high, depending on whether you use a laptop or, a, or whatever. So we should, it would be wise of us to revert to the most trustable interpretation of another person's state of mind, and that is audio. You'll hear it. You'll hear whether a person's smiling or frowning. You'll hear whether they're concentrating, whether they're engaged or disengaged. You'll hear all this, and it's the art of listening. By looking into a camera lens, by looking directly at a camera lens, and assuming down the barrel of that lens that everybody is for you. Everybody is for you. So, you heard Thank that? You. All the places in the world for two surfers decide to go out to sea. So we need to listen. 
you heard the sound of that guy's voice in the background, I hope. The Bondi rescue guy in his little machine telling surfers to fuck off. But because he's got this beautiful, uh, sounds a little bit like Brazilian accent, and he spoke gently and kindly to them, and you could kind of like tell the look on his face. And he's there telling people to really get the shit together and get away and, and being a little bit uh, clear about it. Uh, the guy didn't cause, that they understood him. So I, I honestly think that we need to, it's a time of COVID. It's not time to replicate what we had when, when we were uh, uh, in a room together by using a screen. If you want to do that, you need to have professional training and use more professional equipment than a laptop with a, with a camera at the side. There's an app with, that enables your mobile phone to become a camera for your laptop. And that's a very good app. It zooms in on your face and therefore holds you, but you, then you just stare at your camera on your, on your lap, on your, um, on your phone. Putting the camera on someone's face just because they're talking doesn't make them more important, nor does it give more value to what they're saying. In fact, it depreciates it. If they're not a master of the camera, if they're just an ordinary laptop friendly individual. So I think we come to this point of talking about sound and the importance of it and the importance of being tuned in to the tones and the feelings and the expressions people have behind the character of their voice is no different to chewing a sultana or tasting a piece of carrot before you swallow it. When you hear somebody speak and you suck that piece of information down your throat and you don't chew it, you don't process it or, di or distill it. You're taking not only what they say, the words, but you're taking the feelings and the emotions and the backstory. So let's say hypothetically, let's just say hypothetically right now, you're having a meeting with someone, it's a client. And this morning, they woke up constipated. They couldn't do a poo. And they sat there in the toilet, squeezing and pushing and shoveling and their stomach feels bloated because they ate half a pork pig last night and it's all stuck in there. And they swallowed all the food without chewing it. They didn't taste it, so they felt hungry and hungry and they ate and ate and their 15 minutes went past and suddenly they realized they've eaten far too much. And this person sitting there this morning, they couldn't poo, they've drunk a cup of coffee to try and give themselves a little bit of a boost because when you're constipated, it makes you feel stagnant. And so they've drunk a cup of coffee to try and loosen things up and rattle their brain and they've been looking at a computer screen and the visual sense is aerated so the visual sense of looking at the news or looking at a screen 
is pure air. And air makes us sort of like the air is. It makes us all over the place. An airy person becomes aerated. And now this person wants to give you a contract. And you're on the screen with them and they're talking and you swallow everything they say. You let it in. You don't listen. And listening means you process. You chew. You digest. You assimilate. And you start to peel away all their uh, backstory. Peel away all their choice of words. Peel away their misuse of the audio or the visual equipment. Peel away to find the real essence. What is the heart and soul of this person trying to communicate? Through the fog of all their backstory. Through the fog of coffee. Through the fog of a, the aeration of a stream. Through the fog of not being able to take a poo this morning. Through the fog of all that. You're trying to find out what they're actually wanting to share. Now, if we swallow everything they say, it's no different to eating a meal, sucking it down, walking down the street with a sandwich, sucking it between the outside world and the stomach without any sense of uh, chewing. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, looking for the nourishment. It's looking just to fill the guts. And not listening. It's just trying to fill the head. That's not going to work. That's not gonna work. It's 20, it's 2022. Sucking things down, audio, sucking things down video, that was about the 18th century. It's like being bombed by an enemy. And it's naive because we're, we're just blindly consuming without chewing, without digesting, without assimilating. To assimilate somebody's audio, we need to be calm. We need to be in an environment that allows us not to be thinking about ourselves, uh, worried about our backstory. We need to clean up our pig poo boots we need to turn up. And if we turn up, there is nothing else we'd rather be doing than listening to this person speak. And there's nothing else we'd rather be doing than allowing it to enter into our consciousness only the essence and spit the rest out instead of reacting instead of trying to consume it all, instead of trying to swallow their backstory, their emotions, their coffee, their dizziness, their aeratedness. Instead of that, we say, 
you know what, I'm going to listen so well that I leave what isn't mine behind. I'm going to take it on board. Everything I hear that person say, I'm going to put it in a cup. And when I finish listening to them talk, I'm going to turn the cup upside down, then turn the cup back up the right way. And whatever's left in there, that belongs to me. That belongs to this conversation. In the meantime, I have to come up, turn up to that meeting with my cup empty. And so the art and the mastery of listening is no different to the art and the mastery of eating. The art and the mastery of listening is the same as the art and the mastery of eating. You turn up typically to the meal, you smell the atmosphere and you become prepared. The digestive juices start to flow in the abdomen, end of the throat, into the back of the nose. You start to salivate in preparation. Then you look at the meal and maybe you take an eye's view of it and see the prettiness of it, but so far nothing's happened. The smell of the, the food, so you smell it like the wine taster. You observe it, you, you prepare your taste buds and then you sample it and you taste and you put the piece of each thing in your mouth one by one and, and, uh, and chew it like a hundred times to see what's really in there. And you're not looking just for taste, you're looking for the nourishment, the beauty of it, the clarity of the taste. Now you're eating because 90% of digestion takes place in the mouth. I don't know if you know that. But all the juices required to dissolve food take place, signaled from the mouth. And most people bypass it as a, as a shoveling mechanism to shovel as much down the hole as quickly as they possibly can. I went once to a... Uh, to have a, uh, what's it called, where they stick a tube up your bum and hose you out. Uh, uh, it's not a rectal exam, it's a colono colonoscopy. Or, no, it's not a colonoscopy, it's a, uh, anyway. The, the practitioner put a tube up your bum and then fill it full of water and then watch this other tube, which has everything coming out. It's up your bum. And the first bit they don't show you because it's, it's a little bit, uh, probably what we would recognize as shit. But after about three minutes, they say, have a look at this. And I looked down between my legs where the tube was coming out underneath the blanket. And she said, and she stopped it. She held all the material in there. And this material wasn't brown poo. This was things that were caught in my, in my, uh, in my intestines. And she said, look at that. And there was a little piece of corn, corn on the cob, a little piece of corn, and it had grown fur. And she said, that has been caught in the ribs of your intestines for a minimum of 10 years. Then another piece, uh, chunk of something came through. She goes, look at that. And it was a piece of meat and it was white because it just sat somewhere in the corner of the folds of one of my intestines. It's not a very good topic. But it just shows Chris Walker gulped his food. That's why corn is considered one of the worst things, uh, because it's we, 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 the, 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 uh, uh, the skin of the cob, the skin of the little corns, 
that it doesn't break down. It's made of something that doesn't break down in the tummy. And therefore, if we swallow a whole little piece of corn down in our tummy, the, whole, the skin on the outside stays solid. And that's what my little furry bit in my uh, bum clean thing happened. It was really a shock to me that I could gulp. I didn't chew things. There was a piece of meat there. It hadn't even been bitten. I'd gone from, from cow to bow in <laughs> one foul swoop. <laughs> so listening is the art of assimilation and the art of digesting and the art of processing. And we don't want to, and I mean this in all sincerity, you don't want to swallow, we don't want to hear, don't want to listen to, you don't let in people's backstory. Because it's not really what they're intending to communicate. They don't want to dump on you the fact that they're constipated, that they're full of coffee, that they've been on a screen, they're aerated, they've had a little bit of a barney with their missus or their mister or whatever it is at home, or the kids are giving them the shits, or it's boring as batshit being in COVID and all these things. They don't want to dump this on you, but they do accidentally. And if you're naive and you're a naive listener and you listen, 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 you suck in and you let in everything that everybody says as if that's the intention of listening, then you are going to be swallowing other people's backstories. And what they repress, you express, because that's the law of balance. So if someone's repressing how angry they are, how bored they are, how pissed off they are, that's what you'll express because you'll, you'll take it in and you'll swallow their food. You'll swallow the food without chewing. Listening, listening is the art of stillness, of silence. Listening is, the, is one of the most beautiful skills because you're saying what's at the heart of what that person's trying to say. And your level of inquiry is so inquisitive, so enthusiastic to peel away the backstory and find out what's going on. That person really feels heard. There's no greater compliment you can give another person on this planet than to hear them. Not hear their backstory, not hear their emotions, not hear what they're worried about. Who gives a fuck? You want to know what they want to communicate. And that, my friends, is a very long Friday morning podcast on the beach, taking advantage of the fact that I had a client cancel from this time of day and I thought I would share a podcast, a long one, rather than bemoan the fact that I got a cancellation last minute. How about that? Lots of love. Bye.